Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on what looks like it's going to be just a beautiful Saturday on Colorado's Front Range. I hope you've got plans to go outdoors uh, and enjoy the dry, warm weather. Not quite as hot as it's been. It'll be a little more pleasant. It's uh, so much going on this time of the year. We're going to talk some, some fishing. We're going to talk some activities at Colorado State Parks. Later on this hour, we're also going to talk about the gray wolf and what's happening there. And where that is at currently, get updated on that. The second hour of the show, we're going to talk quite a bit of hunting and shooting. We're going to talk dog training. We're going to talk um, where the hunting is at right now with Nate Zelinsky. He's out scouting. We know that. And, of course, we're going to talk some shooting with folks at Colorado Clays. But we've got some really good fishing reports right now. And we'll have some later on this hour. So let's go to the phones. And joining us from uh, the Blue Mesa area, from GSO uh, Fishing is Andy Cochran. Good morning, Andy. Hi, good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day on the Front Range. What's it like over in the Gunnison area? Uh, not a cloud in the sky this morning. It's going to be another scorcher. We hit 90 yesterday, which for here is pretty, about as hot as it ever gets down in this country. So beautiful day to be on the water today for sure. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about the effect that heat's having on some of the rivers later on. But first, let's get to Blue Mesa. You and I have talked uh, recently, and it sounds like it's fishing really well. Let's start with the water levels, Andy. How is the water level? It's probably peaked out and headed back down, but what's the status? Yeah, right now we peaked out about two weeks ago, um, and because of the electric dam that's in works here, it's pulling water again so we're going to start dropping a little bit but we uh we're currently 58 feet low from the full pool mark um which sounds pretty dramatic but it's still 260 feet deep down by the dam so plenty of water out there still all the boat ramps are still or the three major boat ramps are all still in operation and should be clear through the fall so we're all looking good on that stuff that's good because this you know some places are struggling a little bit, and I got a feeling we're going to hear about some others as this uh, warm summer drags on. But let's start with the lake trout. That's always uh, the first question people ask is, Blue Mesa is known for huge lake trout, up to 50 pounds, right? And Yeah. And then, what and is then you also have five, go of, ahead. five of our last eight state records are out of here. And um, that's a good point. So typically – in the heat of the summer, we don't usually fish for trophy lake trout because they're typically so deep that it's a little bit hard on them to pull them out of 150 feet of water. You can do it if you're real careful and you burp them and you get them back into shallow water so they can reacclimate going down to the deep cold water where they need to be. But the low water this year's kind of actually helped that bite a little bit because these deep flats that these fish like to stage up on in the summer are a lot more accessible now, like 80, 90 feet deep. So we've actually been seeing a a really good midsummer lake trout bite for trophy fish this summer, which is something that's not typical here. 
And, you know, and of course the trophies, uh, there's a chance for a big trophy in Blue Mesa and you hunt those fish, you fish them differently, but you also can be frustrating because if you're going to hunt trophy fish, you're hunting for a few bites. What about the more keeper size lake drought? The one we encourage people to harvest a few, the smaller, those 15 to 20 inch, those, I guess you call them pups. How are they doing? Um, it's been a fantastic summer for that. It's been very consistent. Um, we're catching them trolling. You can target them jigging as well. And they're actually kind of using that same water column that the bigger ones are in, too. Um, some of them are a little bit shallower, up to as shallow as 50 feet, but the big numbers of them are in that 70 to 90-foot range. And they're very willing to bite they're very aggressive hungry little fish they grow fast so they're if you want to come out here and just catch a bunch of lake trout the summer is actually really good um and we troll really you can catch them on a lot of typical kokanee salmon type gear dodgers with spoons or spinners or you can just troll a little bit bigger spoons or stuff like rapala type lures at like a mile and a half to two mile an hour kind of speeds trolling through those little wolf packs of pup lake trout and you they're very willing to bite and you can come down and catch quite a few of them in the summer it's been really good for that and those small ones make great table fare they're really good to eat too you know you mentioned the the kokanee salmon equipment the last few years the salmon haven't been quite as good but it looks like they're making a rebound you were telling me earlier that the salmon fishing is really doing a turnaround this year. Yeah, they did some study, sonar study stuff last fall, and, and the state was telling us how good the population was looking with real young fish late last year, and it's definitely shown this summer. Um, probably a better salmon bite than we've had in probably three or four years trolling, so it's great to see our numbers kind of coming back, too, and you know, um, one of the concerns for the last several years has been the gill lice thing. We hear a lot about it. Um, so we're like six years into the gill lice sort of infestation here. And the hope was that this lake is big enough that a lot of those fish can spread out and kind of outlast it. Um, last year, we were, we were seeing really high prevalence in that gill lice and that seemed to be part of the problem with last year's population of big fish. But what's really encouraging this year is we are, it's probably about 60% of our mature salmon this year are completely gill lice free. And then the ones that do have it, the, you know, the counts of gill lice per fish are, are really low. So for whatever reason, it seems like this age class is, a lot more resistant to it or not spreading it near as bad as the ones last year. So we seem to be, you know, kind of outlasting it like we hoped we would. And so the future for the gill lice thing looks really good. We're never going to get rid of it, but it doesn't seem like it's really affecting anything this year. Well, and the salmon have always been a big draw there, the kokanee. People love to come up and <clears throat> troll for them. Do you ever jig for the salmon in the summer, or is it mostly a trolling bite and you jig for them through the ice? It's um so we're on a, a real strong troll bite all summer long just because they are real spread out so you can't really get around a big enough school of them to hold the boat long enough to catch a few, 
but that's going to transition here pretty soon. Um, we're already starting to see a little bit of pre-spawn movement in these old fish that are going to run this fall. So oftentimes on a low water year such as this, we'll see that pre-spawn movement a little bit early. Um, so the possibility of getting into big schools of salmon this year is going to be really good, especially with the amount of fish. And so that's probably going to start the way things are looking, maybe the last week of July. And often that'll kind of continue all the way through around Labor Day. So basically the month of August, we will kind of transition from a trolling bite to a jigging bite until the mature fish hit the river. And then we'll kind of start over with trolling again into the fall. I love jigging for those salmon when you can. You had another species in Blue Mesa that was illegally introduced. It's actually done quite well, but it doesn't show up year-round. It kind of shows up in spots, but when it does, it's good. And that's yellow perch. What's going on with them? Yeah, the yellow perch population is thriving. Um, Their suspected negative effects on the fishery have yet to show up. So right now it seems to be... I guess a pretty good fit for our lake, and they're doing really well. Um, Populations are pretty much spread across the whole lake. In the summer is definitely the time to catch them. They get up in these shallow bays where you can access them from the bank even. They typically won't be much deeper than like 20 foot of water. Um, Pretty much using like rocky structure now because there's not a whole lot of vegetation in this lake. So any kind of big rock piles and stuff around the these shallow bays there's going to be a lot of perch around there um crawdads is their main forage base so you catch them throwing little marabou jigs or little tube jigs in crawfish patterns and um, we're starting to see kind of a average growth on these fish to where your eaters like the 8 to 12 inch fish are a lot more common now and um, this spring kind of when things started up with those we were seeing several people catching really big ones like 14 to 15 inches there was one young man about three weeks ago that that caught a female right before she spawned that was like a quarter of a pound off the state record so they're starting to get they're starting to get big over here too that's awesome and that's uh, you know might as well take advantage of it and those perch are so good to eat you get them up around that 10 11 inch range you get a little fillet off each one and introduce that to some hot oil and i'll tell you what those are just delicious i i love them just bread it up they taste like walleyes a couple other fish i want to talk to you about while we still have time and and i want to transition when we talk about these from conventional fishing to fly fishing and i'll explain why in a minute but how are the the trout doing the rainbows and the browns yeah a couple different conversations there so a few years ago we were kind of a little concerned with our brown trout population um and had several meetings with our local biologist and and he's really turned the brown trout fishery around he's been able to basically be on lookout for any overstock of fingerling rainbows around any of the state hatcheries and when he can get them he gets them and puts them in here and it's made a huge difference in the health of the brown trout fishery. Those fish are really looking good, and they're consistently getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the brown trout fishing now is better than it's been in quite a few years. So they are a little deeper now, and trolling seems to be the best way to catch them. 
Um, so the brown trout thing, totally worth your time. And if anybody likes catching them with a rod and reel in hand, the fall this fall is going to be one of the best brown trout fishing times of year you're going to see in this whole state for quite a while. It's the browns, like we're super excited about it. The browns are my favorite thing to fish for here. And the way they look now has got us pretty fired up to be get through this summer so we can start throwing jerk baits and stuff this fall and see if we can catch some eight, 10 pound browns out of this lake like we used to. And then um, talking about the rainbows, they seem to, it's a little bit similar with the salmon and the gill lice situation. Um, for a couple of years there, we were seeing kind of the same gill lice prevalence in those rainbows. And it seems like they've, they've started stocking a little bit different strain of rainbows in here. And this summer, again, kind of like the salmon, we're seeing a lot of clean rainbows, no gill lice, which is really helping those fish grow. And they are catchable from the bank, from the boat, trolling, casting. They're spread across the whole lake. The rainbows are doing really good now, too, in this lake. Yeah, it sounds good. Now, that brings up a conversation you and I had. You live in an area that's been hit pretty hard by the drought. A lot of rivers, the Dolores, the Colorado, the Gunnison River, all have either some uh, closures of some type. They might be mandatory. They might be voluntary. But we're really concerned about the trout populations in those lakes. A lot of people come that way to fly fish. And I'm kind of telling people, when you go to fly fish now, take a thermometer with you. If the, if the water's over about 65 degrees, don't fish. I mean, once you get past 60, it starts hard, hurting those trout. But you can provide a great alternative for fly rod fishermen right on Blue Mesa, can't you? Yeah, we were. I had some clients out with me yesterday, too, that um, are going to come back in a week with their fly rods. They were able to see it with their own eyes yesterday. We were trolling on the upper end of the lake, and there's... My entomology isn't the best, but there's a midge that hatches on Blue Mesa all summer long in the morning. And July and August are actually like the peak of that hatch. And yesterday morning, it was as far as you could see across the whole basin of the lake was just boiling with trout activity. And some of these bugs get up to like a size 10, dry fly size. And they just, they're on the surface. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of rainbows and browns and you can literally just get on your trolling motor out in the middle of the lake and make casts to these trout and catch them on a fly rod almost at will it can be one of the funnest days with a fly rod in your hand that you can probably have and we've probably got about a six-week window left of that hatch coming off and yeah like you said there's a lot of fish in the Gunnison River, too, when it starts to really drop and get warm. They'll they'll migrate all the way back to Blue Mesa. So it's like that upper end of Blue Mesa is getting repopulated with fish coming out of the river, for one thing. And then that freshwater current's kind of helping this hatch out. And so there's if a guy wants to fly fish and the rivers are getting too hot, um, this particular spot on Blue Mesa um, is a fantastic alternative to fly fishing in moving water 
Andy, we got to move on, but there's so much going on up there. If people want to get a hold of you for more information or, or book a trip with GSO, how do they get a hold of you? Um, our best thing is our website. It's gsofishing.com. Um, we have tons of great info and blogs and a lot of stuff going on there. And then anybody that's traveling through town, um, stop by Gene Taylor Sporting Goods, and the crew there can also kind of line everybody out on what the current bite is and where it's hot and where it's not and any river closures and stuff like that. We're always right up to date on all the info in the store there, too. So either way. All right, my friend, as always, great talking to you. We'll get you on again soon. Okay, have a great weekend. Thank you. You bet. Andy Cochran from GSO um, Fishing. Go to GSO Fishing. Go to Blue Mesa. What an opportunity. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a time out. We're going to tell you someplace you can go right here in the front range, take your kids, and just have a blast. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They have locations up and down the front range if you're heading out or if you're going to do some grilling stop at a jack store and look around let's go to the phones and joining us from cheyenne mountain state park waiting patiently while we went through that fishing report i hope is prudence prudence cromer good morning prudence good morning top of the morning how you doing i'll bet it's beautiful at cheyenne mountain right now this is going to be a great weekend and next weekend will even be better but why don't you tell people where Cheyenne Mountain is located and describe the park? Yes, so um, Cheyenne Mountain State Park is just south of Colorado Springs. It's it's a ten seven to ten minute drive of downtown, um, and then we are just west of Fort Carson. So it's kind of a hidden gem, just right up against um, the front range of of Cheyenne Mountain. And there's nothing to do there, right? <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> there's so much to do. <laughs> So, I mean, you've got trails, picnics. Tell people some of the things that Cheyenne Mountain offers. Yes, for sure. Well, we have our amazing archery range. Um, We have a covered shooting area that ranges from 10 to 80 yards. We have 28 field targets with our 3D animal archery range. Um, So that's a, a great variety for archers that are coming out um, and of course we have camping. So we have 51 full hookup campsites, um, and then 10 basic tent sites and operating, um, with showers and laundry. Um, and we have two new cabins being built right now. Um, they're not going to be fancy, fancy, but they're going to be, um, really a great opportunity for people to come out, um, and, uh, reserve those two cabins. Um, and, of and course, we have trails. So we have 21 different trails, over 28 miles worth. Um, our latest trail, which we had talked about, um, was the, is the Dixon Trail. So the Dixon Trail goes to the top of Cheyenne Mountain, um, 17 miles round trip. So it's a, a full-day hike, but amazing views once you get to the top. Um, and then lastly, we have our disc golf course. So it's a nine-hole disc golf course. Uh, again, amazing views of the mountain um, and just a great course when it comes to varieties of ecology and um, the meadows and rocks. And it's a great course to play some disc golf. Well, one of the things about the trails, you mentioned the new trail that goes all the way to the top that really has some um, incredible elevation gain as you hike it. But you have trails that really suit any length of time you want to go and any uh, ability range and how from easy to, you know, that are fairly taxing. 
And I would imagine along the way you have a chance to see some wildlife and flowers and things like that, too. Oh, absolutely. We've been having our spring bird walks in the morning, and they've seen over um, 50 different bird species um, each morning. It's pretty incredible how many birds that we have in the park, as well as wildlife. Um, and we have our, our game cameras out. So we've been capturing a couple black bear, um, and then we have our, our coyotes. And um, mountain lions don't come out too, too often, but they have been seen. Um, and mule deer, uh, and, and then our, our cute little prairie dogs that we have. But, yeah, there's a variety of, of birds and um, wildlife and ecology. And our Wildflower Wednesday hikes have been really um, fabulous, too, with seeing all different types of flowers. Now, now, next week, I believe it's next week, or is it two weeks? Two weeks, right? Saturday, July 24th, you're going to have a very special day for kids, but for families that everyone can come out. Tell us about what you're going to do. Yes. So the event is called Kids to Parks. So basically, um, it's a great opportunity to get families out um, to enjoy our parks. We're going to have a variety of different tables all set up and some activities. Um, But just to name a few, Terry, we will have um, a skins and skulls table. We'll have a nature journaling. Um, The uh, lake or sorry, the boat from Lake Pueblo will be coming out and we'll um, be having kids just look at this cool boat and play a backyard bass game. Um, We're going to have archery and knot tying and different skills that we can do, but it's a great opportunity for um, kids and families to come out to the park. And part of our state mission statement is to encourage our current and future generations to be active stewards of our natural resources. So so by um, people coming out to our park we can teach them about uh wildlife and our natural resources so it's going to be a great event um for all not only our amazing volunteer staff um but uh all the participants that will come out now in addition to a parks pass is there any other fee for this no just just come with a a happy smile (laughs) and 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 it's july 24th and it's from 10 to 1 i believe that is correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and if people want to come out early and later than that, all the activities of the park are still available. You're just going to have these extra. I mean, the kids can do crafts. They can learn about fishing. The the um, skull and fur table. That's kind of neat. Is that the one where they kind of have to identify animals by? by look and feel of different things, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Yeah, we have a little card that they can fill out. So we have all our different skulls that are out with different letters, and then we, we have a little card we give out, and they guess which skull belongs to which animal. And it's actually quite challenging, um, but by the end, you will learn all the skulls and the different skins, and uh, it's a great educational experience for sure. <laughs> It really is. Now, if people want more information about this, uh, how would they go about it? You're going to have it up on the Cheyenne Mountain State Park Facebook page, maybe? Yes. Yeah, so we have three different social media. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, and then, of course, we have our um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife um, Cheyenne Mountain State Park website. So you can find all our events um, on social media and in our website. Well, and this uh, the Cheyenne Mountain is a great park to go to anytime, but the 24th bring your kids out just have a blast i can't tell you how much fun they'll have prudence thank you so much for joining us yes thank you so much terry i hope you have a great rest of your show today
Thank you so much. That's Prudence from Cheyenne Mountain State Park. They have this activity every year. It's so much fun. Take your kids out there, 10 to 1 on Saturday, July 24th. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about the gray wolves in Colorado and where the status of that is. And Austin Parr will join us with a fishing update. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, whether you're fishing, kayaking, canoeing, or even grilling, Jack's Outdoor Gear has everything you need to enjoy it at the level you want to enjoy it. Up and down the front range. Stop by and check one out. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Rebecca Farrell. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado, and I can't wait to help everybody get outdoors and have some fun. But a while ago, the last election, there was a a vote by the people, and they chose to reestablish gray wolves in Colorado. I think they kind of gave you a goal, but they didn't give you a how. And so you've been working diligently, or Parks and Wildlife has, to define and put a metric to that goal and then come up with the process. Where are we at in the, in the process and what's going on? Sure. So last January, our staff put forth a, a proposed plan to our commission, which they approved. And so we are now in the process of kind of enacting that planning plan, if you will. So um, one of the big things that's coming up right now is that starting on Monday, There's a series of 14 different public open houses that will be happening all around the state. Um, The first one is Monday evening in Steamboat Springs. And we're trying really hard to give people different times, areas, places that they can engage with us. Um, We know that this topic is super interesting and that people are very invested in it. And so we want to give, you know, the chance for a variety of people to come in and talk to us, hear what we're up to, kind of understand some of the things that we'll be considering as we develop our plan and give them an opportunity to really make their voices heard. Um, We know people have a lot of passion on on many sides of this topic, and, and we want to hear from everyone. Now, that's wonderful that you're involving everybody like this, and we'll go through again where they can get involved. But the, the, it was established that we need a sustainable wolf population in Colorado. Has that been defined, or do you have an idea what that looks like? We don't yet, and so that is really part of the planning process that we're undergoing right now. So for those who may not be aware, we've put together two different advisory groups, and while those people won't be making ultimate decisions, that's the role of our commission, um, our technical working group, for example, has people who've been part of the, the reintroduction process at Yellowstone National Park, people from various state agencies that are already currently managing wolves to really give us a good depth of background and knowledge of, of kind of how it worked in other states, but also will give us the opportunity to hear from them about what they considered a sustainable population and and how they they saw wolves disperse and and all of that throughout their states or their federal regions. And so that's going to give us a really good idea of looking at our landscape and understanding what that sustainable population may be. And now we've been kind of blessed by a little event that happened through nature that has brought some wolves to Colorado even before this introduction. And I think that's going to help in understanding how they behave here. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Sure. So back in 2019, we had a wolf disperse from Wyoming, and, and we were very fortunate that that wolf was wearing a collar. So we were able to kind of keep tabs on, on that wolf as she, as she moved through um, northern Colorado here. And another one has dispersed down, and so those two became a breeding pair, uh, which, is, which is fortunate in that it gives us the opportunity to kind of see how they're finding each other as they naturally migrate. It also um, resulted in a litter of pups. And so um, we have, you know, seen as many as six pups on the ground born here in Colorado. And with both of those adults being collared, it really does give us the opportunity to, to watch how they're traveling, how they're behaving, how they're, you know, sustaining here in Colorado. And that's going to give us a ton of data to better inform our plans as we move forward. No, I couldn't agree more. Now, you mentioned that there's extreme passion on both sides or many sides or how the, what this should look like or even if it should happen. So you really do want to get all the stakeholders, everybody who has an interest, whether it's hunting, agriculture, wildlife watchers, environmentalists, you want to get them. Why don't you take us through again some of the meetings, how they would find out where there are meetings and how they can participate? Sure. So we've tried to, you know, give people multiple touch points. So, of course, you can always visit the CPW website. We have a, a slider on our homepage that will take you to how you can stay informed about wolf management and our processes. Um, but we've also worked with our partners at Keystone Policy Center to develop a whole separate website, um, and that is wolfengagementco.org. And that will have a list of all of the different open houses that we have. And as of yesterday, we actually have a virtual open house that's available there as well. So if you're unable to attend any of these actual public open houses, you'll be able to, to watch the same presentation, see the same materials, and submit the same type of comment and input form that you would if you were able to attend live. So. To your point, we really want to engage with people who have varying opinions on the topics, who have varying concerns about the topics, who have suggestions for us. Um, we want to hear from as many people as possible because, you know, as, as a part of this process, not only do we have our technical working group, as well as a designated stakeholder advisory group that that's helping inform from different areas and different interests, but we really want to talk to the people of Colorado. I mean, that this is something that affects and impacts our entire state, and we want to hear from as many people with as many perspectives as we can. Now, I do believe this comes up quite often at commission meetings, too, and those are open to the public also, right? Absolutely. So I, I briefly touched on it. We do have our stakeholder advisory group, and that was a selected panel, and their biographies are all available on that engagement website as well. Um, but that gives you a, a perspective into the variety of voices we're, we're listening to. But certainly our Parks and Wildlife Commission meetings usually happen every month or every other month. Wolves are usually a topic at those meetings, and they're always available on our YouTube page. Uh, we will be broadcasting live from Durango next week, so if you happen to be in that corner of the, the state, you can certainly attend those live, but you can always watch as a virtual uh, meeting as well on our YouTube page. Now, as we move forward, um, and I want to let you go because I know you, you want to enjoy your weekend too. Moving forward, um, I know you're going to keep us updated. Are there any timelines or is this still pretty open and still in development? Yeah, so we have some rough timelines. Those were kind of put forth at, at one of our commission meetings of, of kind of how we're looking to do that. But, you know, the, the one timeline that we certainly have is that we need to have uh, a plan and management of wolves on the ground no later than December of 2023. So we are actively working through getting as many of these perspectives as we can now that will help inform the plan, which will be developed, rolled out, approved. And then, you know, by the end of 2023, we'll, we'll have some new residents here in Colorado. 
Well, you know, and that's a, a nice time frame. It gives you plenty of time. You're not rushing into it. And kudos for the effort that's going in to make sure that this works for everybody. Rebecca, we'll let you go and enjoy your weekend. But thank you for keeping us updated. Look forward to having you on again. You got it, Terry. Thanks. You bet, Rebecca Farrell. Always a great wealth of information right here on uh, our show. And, you know, the, a situation that was a volatile topic, whether or not to inter- introduce wolves into Colorado. And it's going to be interesting to see the input and how this all uh, unfurls and comes about. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us. And uh, we're going to talk fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Just take those old records off the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go to the phones. And joining us is Austin Parr from Discount Fishing Tackle. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. It's a beautiful day out. It's a little bit cooler. It's not cold by any means. It's so we're still in July in Colorado, but we're not going to be pushing those triple digits. It's going to be some great days to get out over the next couple of weeks. But this is a time of the year when we think fish are settling into summer patterns, but we're going through a pretty good transition right now. And a lot of anglers get frustrated uh, because it, what they were doing doesn't work. Now, some of that's not happening. Some of it is. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of bait fish that are starting to come out into all of our bodies of water at the moment, and that really is what drives that transitional period that you're talking about. So these fish go from being able to be out on structure points and in big schools, biting all sorts of different things, pretty much whatever you want to throw at them, being jigs or or live bait or, or digging wraps or blades or anything like that. And then the shad come out, and these fish start chasing those shad, and you start losing the fish on structure, and then all of those other things start to not work. Now, right in the midst of that, in a lot of our metro bodies of water, as well as on our eastern plains, for instance, this last week, there were still quite a few fish out on Cherry Creek, and they were eating bait still, but they were just doing it differently. They really only wanted it on slip bobbers um, and not much on jigs or anything, but then the blade-baited jigging wrap bite is really picking up uh, here in a big way right now, too. So that is really the way that I would be starting to think about going certainly less bait and a lot more of your reactionary bites like jigging spoons jigging wraps and blade baits yeah and is that true throughout the front range uh chatfield cherry creek pueblo boyd and what are you hearing out east too yep so chatfield's a little bit different so it was up at that 11 foot high type range for a number of weeks and it's come down out of the trees a little bit and that drove a lot of those walleyes that were in those trees out and we're finding some fish on structure but there's a lot of fish that are suspended. So the trolling bite really is going to be picking up there as well. And as I mentioned, the jigging wraps and blade baits, the trolling bite really is going to be going here in a big way as well on a lot of these eastern plains lakes as well as metro bodies of water. And the trolling bite is different in a lot of these other places. Doing this than you would be doing in a lot of other times of year where planer boards, in my opinion, are really important. And I'm only running these baits back anywhere from – 15 to 35 feet behind that planer board so fishing it up high and that's if you're going to to jackson or sterling or pueblo or cherry creek or chadfield that's all going to be more of what you're thinking of along with those jigging wraps and blade baits but yes the 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 bait fish are out they're in huge numbers this year and pretty much everywhere we've been and we're going to be seeing those fish peel off a structure on any of these uh, lakes that are shad based you know um i did some studies within fishermen a million years ago 
and we were working on trolling bites and watching what happened. And you talking about putting those those baits only, you know, a few feet behind a planer board, uh, what we found was if fish were relating to structure, we could fish on the bottom and a walleye, we're, we're talking mostly walleyes, but smallmouth bass come into the same, uh, act the same way. They would, they would feed downward if they were right tight to structure or they would feed on the sure. bottom. But once they suspended with those bait fish, they were looking up. If you pulled a bait, if you pulled a lure a foot underneath them, you probably didn't get bit. But if you were above them, you probably did. Is that what you're seeing? I certainly agree with that. And I also tend to find sometimes when we're finding those bait fish in the lake like they are, they'll even use that. The, the most active fish are high. You'll see all those suspended fish, but I almost feel like they're pushing some of those bait fish up near the surface, and they're not crashing like a wiper or a white bass would, but they're still utilizing it as something to be able to more easily obtain and catch those bait fish. No, I couldn't agree more. And the reason for the planer boards is you're, you, the, the boat goes right over them. Now, on Cherry Creek and Chatfield, boats go over these fish all the time. They're not as spooky yeah. as some other places. But the boat going over does push them out and actually concentrates the fish out where your planer board is, where the fish that move out are again now being covered by the planer board too. And that allows you to do those short lines and uh, pull those at those very depths. Another thing about this kind of fishing, Austin, I'm sure you'll agree with this, very difficult sometimes to find those fish on your electronics because they are oh, yeah. up so high. Yeah, and it's almost like you just have to just focus in on areas that you're seeing bait and just go until you start developing a pattern, and as with all of this type of fishing, but you have to find where those fish are, are concentrated. But the sonar, unlike all other times of the year, is largely obsolete. You can see a little bit of them on side imaging at times, but still even then it can be challenging. And then going back to that thing you were talking about with the planer boards and, and, and the depth, I agree you can catch them on flat lines. The only downside with that as well is that if you, if you put that bait far enough back behind the boat so it's not just right in your prop wash i feel like it gets a little bit too deep so sometimes we'll even break out what's called a rear planer and allow it to ha have that that planer floating on the back of the water and you can push it back far enough that you can then have that bait just a few feet under no i couldn't agree more what are you typically trolling with shad style baits or has there been a variety most certainly shad style baits so i personally like a salmo hornet a lot but your standard flicker shads always are going to do well. And early in the season like this, by early, I mean early in the bait fish spawn, they are, a lot of times, bait fish are pretty small. So I'm fishing a lot of size fours right now. I'll transition into the size fives and even into size sevens as I get later into the year. Now, the Salmos, I like the fours the most by far. The fives are a totally different bait. They have a bigger bill. They dive deeper. As I'm going to fives, I'm shifting to shad wraps and flicker shads in a big way. If it's fours any of them could potentially be good but keeping that bait high is something to think about and then the other thing that i'll do well with as we get later into july is doing a lot of night fishing with this as well pulling right down the middle of the lake doing the exact same thing with lighted planer boards and catch these fish up high in the water column so what else besides the walleyes what else are you hearing what else is doing well whether it's mountain lakes or you mentioned white bass and wipers anything you've heard that's really going pretty well 
Yeah, so this, going back to Chatfield a little bit, the smallmouth have been very productive out there. And with the bait fish, the topwater bite is doing really well. Um, and even if you want to get crazy in Alabama rig with a couple of dummies and three hooks, you can catch a lot of fish on uh, on the dam at the moment. But then as you move out to the eastern plains, uh, there's been a few wipers and that has been going here and there at John Martin, a um, few boils that we've been hearing. And then the mountain lakes have still been pretty productive. Guys have been catching a lot of lake trout up there, and particularly with a lot of these river closures that we're seeing on especially the Colorado and the Gunnison and obviously the Dolores down in the southwest part of the state. If you're looking to, to trout fish, this is the time of year to get to the high elevation lakes. So even getting out of those high plains, uh, higher temps, and going into your alpine type environments can be very productive. The cutthroats and the brook trout in those lakes love terrestrials this time of year. Uh, you can catch them on streamers. You can fish conventional gear with a fly in a bubble or lures. And then the streams adjacent to those creeks, or the, the streams adjacent to those those lakes are fantastic as well even though they're small they can house an absolute ton of fish and if you want to go just catch a ton of numbers high elevation streams and a fly rod this is one of my favorite times of year to do that and you know whether you're fishing a fly in a bubble or a fly rod this dry weather has produced an abundance of of grasshoppers this year oh yeah really really can't miss taking a some type of a grasshopper type fly and putting just maybe a foot below it is some kind of an emerger or a copper john or something. And whether it's the brook trout or the cutthroats or the rainbows, um, you really, if, if you're an inexperienced angler, you can do just well with just sticking with that presentation right now. Absolutely. And the nice thing about that hopper is it's nice and buoyant with that foam. And I like putting a tungsten bead head fly and tungsten's a lot heavier than a typical brass bead. So it gets down into those deeper pools quite well. And that uh, big hopper has absolutely no problem floating it. And you can catch just an absolute ton of fish doing that this time of year. And you can do it, like I said, with a fly and a bubble or a fly rod. I love going to our Rocky Mountain National Park, some of the small streams there, but some of the alpine lakes there, um, I've caught some awfully big cutthroats up in those alpine lakes. In fact, if anybody wants to see that, go to my um, my YouTube channel, Best Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We've got three or four shows going up there. It's just a blast. Got a couple minutes left, Austin. Anything else you're hearing out there? Uh, so right now, you, uh, I just can't stress it enough on the river situation. Certainly think about going to the smaller, higher bodies of water. So that's that, that thing right there. And then going back real quick on that fly rod, if you're a beginning angler at the moment, this is a fantastic time to learn because you're able to fish nice and close uh, to you. You're not having to do big, long casts by any stretch of the imagination. And so that's really a good, good way to go right there. Uh, but then back to it, uh, as far as other things, Pueblo is another one that I'd be certainly thinking about. We talk about Chapter and Cherry Creek a lot. But Pueblo Walleye Bite has been very effective uh, doing the same type of things that we've been talking about. The West End has been pretty blown out with uh, some of the extra rains we've been having. So a lot of the fishing has been Middle Island and East, and a lot of fish are peeling out off structure. So if you've got a chance that you want to go and catch some fish and learn how to troll, that's a great lake to do it, especially for the fact that you can get away from some boaters even on a weekday down toward that uh, no-wake zone area and Middle Island area. Uh, you're able to to spread your boards out a little bit, and that's a, a really good way to end up going right there and certainly something that I would be considering over the next couple of weeks, mostly due to the fact that you can catch them still in a number of ways. It's not purely trolling, but if you want to catch them trolling, you can most certainly do that. All right, my friend, uh, thank you for that update. If people want more information from me, how do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. I, great information. Thanks for joining us, Austin. Thanks so much, Terry. You have a great day.
You bet. Austin Parr, always a great, great, uh, great resource for us. And, of course, speaking of great resources, I know he's probably listening, and he's going to like the fact that I give him a great introduction. But Nate Zielinski is going to join us after the break, and he is going to talk some incredible information on hunting. You know, I give Nate a hard time, but seriously, this man knows hunting. He knows fishing, too. He knows it all. But he will get you tuned in to what you should be doing hunting. All that and more coming up after this timeout on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 